The Incomparable. Number 525. July 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is all about our book club watching books and seeing if they move. No, we're watching the words (laughs) on the pages of the books. It's watching. Reading is watching. It's a kind of watching. It's perfectly normal. Unless you're listening to it as an audiobook. Oh. Mm. oh, well, then I've ruined everything before you even introduce people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you close your eyes and you're watching the pictures in your mind. I'm joined by these very helpful people <laughs> Erica Ensign. Hello. I'm helping. Very helpful. Very helpful. Scott McNulty. Very helpful. Hello. I'm watching you, Jason. Well, I'm, I'm watching your words right now. Dan Morin. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hi. I'm not helping, as usual. No. And Aline Sims. What will she do? Will she help or not? Who knows? I'm a neutral party. Okay. Mm. That's oh. fair. That's fair. Anyway, the books that we watched. <laughs> you, can, you can abandon that now, Jason. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know who's going to catch on? It's the Hugo mm-hmm. Award episode is what this is. Yay! Yay! We already did the Nebula Award episode, which is sort of cheating because it gets us two episodes with the science fiction and fantasy shortlist. And there's lots of overlap. Um, so in fact, of the six books that we watched, see, I, I didn't even try <laughs> the six books that we watched very carefully to see if they were alive for the Nebula Awards. Three of them are also in the stack. They, they, we watched as they made their way over to the Hugo shortlist as well. It was trying to make watched happen. And friends, <laughs> friends, I have great news for you. That means we only had to read three books for this episode, whereas we had to read six books or some of us seven books Five. for mm, the mm, for the previous episode <laughs> so that's good and i hear that dan only read two of them so that's okay. awesome. i ran right. out of time sure yeah i was trying sorry it's fine it's finite so we're gonna we're gonna go over the the three novels that we already talked about in the last episode just to refresh your memory and then we're gonna talk about the three novels that that uh, came into our world between these episodes and then uh we'll spend a little time at the end talking about some of the short story nominees as well in case you want to go seek those out because that's always fun too um starting with the the um Best novel nominees that are carryovers. We are episode five sixteen, like a fruit salad. Uh, remember that? Remember the fruit salad stuff? Anyway, um, <laughs> three came across a memory called Empire, um, which was uh, our consensus number one. Uh, Ten thousand doors of January, which was our consensus number five, because you're all mean people because i loved it and gideon the ninth which was our consensus number two so you know two out of three i guess or six ain't bad those three all uh come over from the nebula episode um a memory called empire is about a super fan of a hegemonic empire who ends up being made the what ambassador to Mm -hmm. the hegemonic empire and uh there's a memory download that goes badly and then there's an increasingly interesting series of wacky events that leads to among other things emergency brain surgery and uh uh you know i love that book that's my favorite book of last year spoilers for how i ranked it among these six uh, it's still number one 
Uh, 10,000 Doors of January, I found really charming. It's a portal fantasy kind of thing about two people who are from different worlds and they keep going from place to place. And a guy builds a boat up in the mountains. Or It's a portals fantasy. It's a portals fantasy. Many, many portals. Many, many parallel worlds. Or, portals. Or side by worlds. Portals out. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, a guy builds a boat up in the mountains and then pushes it through a door and stuff like that, which is fun. And, um, and then Gideon the Ninth is the book where we argued about whether it could really be lesbian necromancers in space because it was set mostly on a planet and is a planet space. Uh, but it was still a pretty awesome, fun book about the uh, sort of tasks put to the various houses of this star empire and people keep dying. And it's kind of like a haunted house, locked room mystery thing, except with magic and science and uh, space if you consider planets to be space and planets if you don't. Is that fair? Did I, did I cover those three okay? Planets yeah. are in space. All right, yep. I agree, but not space. Are they space? They're, they are. They are not space. They're they space are, adjacent. They are in space. They're right. enveloped in space. So lesbian necromancers in on a planet which is in space is less. Yeah. Catchy. So you just elide the on a planet part. I can see why fine. they omitted that because they're clever marketing people. I got it's it. Long. I got it. It's long. Mm-hmm. Blurbs are hard, people. All right. Yep. Did I get did I get them okay? Did I summarize them okay? I didn't go back and listen to that episode, but I feel like that's my summary of those three. I think you got them. I did go back and listen to that episode, and yeah, you 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 did you did them proud. All right, thank you for the portals plural fantasy that that helps yeah. that too. All right, our new contenders now three books for us to to discuss here. Um, mm. The first of which is the Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. This is a story about a bunch of soldiers, uh, had little echoes of the forever war for me a little bit, who are fighting in a war uh, for like corporations against some rebels on Mars. So you're immediately sort of suspicious about whether this is, uh, it's very clear that this is being subversive in a way by saying that, you know, in the future, the armies are controlled by corporations and people who are trying to be free of corporations are the enemy and they're terrorists and they're hunted down by corporations. But the, I think, interesting twist in it is that it is a story. It turns out that the method of transport, they're all turned into light and then back into people at their destination, uh, has our main character shattered across uh, her own timeline And so we experience the sequence of events in the book with her, and it's completely out of sequence from the actual linear series of events. And so we are confused as she is. And uh, that's the that's the little extra spin you get on a what would otherwise be a uh, subversive, you know, challenging military science fiction book that's why i mentioned the forever war because that is a military Mm -hmm. science fiction book that is all about everything that's wrong with war and and how soldiers are treated in it and i feel like the light brigade is sort of like literally like you took the forever war and put it in a blender because that's what happens to the character in this it's, and there's like a military it's the military industrial complex right like i said it shades to the industrial side but same idea I love the premise of this, too. Yeah, it's great. They're kind of like security guards slash army. Like, it's a little bit of both because they're kind of like... Right, and what is the war? Who are they actually fighting? Like, what are... corporations. What's at stake, right? Like, are the corporations fighting each other or are they all fighting Martians? It's, you know, deliberately unclear. 
So I, I mean, I, I liked the premise of this a lot. I love the, um, you know, experiencing things out of time. It does create a great puzzle to try and figure things out. Um, I found the execution a little challenging at times. Um, for me, a lot of places, it kind of dipped in and out. And there was so much confusion over what was going on, and especially because it is all filtered through this one person's point of view. Um, it sometimes felt like it played fast and loose with some of what we were seeing or experiencing. Um, and I found myself really enjoying unraveling the puzzle of the time travel, but not always being clear about what was at stake in any given moment or what this, what our main character was trying to accomplish beyond just staying alive. And there are some narrative devices in here that, you know, kind of work, but I feel like they they also take in another direction. There's like all these interludes for various points where like there's a conversation going on between somebody being interrogated and right. a prisoner, and you're like, mm -hmm. where? What is this? And like you start to put it together as it goes a little bit. Um, but I I I felt like for me, I really loved the idea. I just didn't wasn't totally in love with the way that it all came together as it were. I, I wouldn't say I love the book, but it definitely, it did things to my brain that made me feel like it deserved sort of stronger consideration than just whether I liked it. And I think a lot of the things that you just said, Dan, sort of explain why it did those things to my brain. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of military sci-fi, so it kind of had that going against it. Um, and without spoiling the end, I'll say I wasn't entirely sure that it worked for me. Mm -hmm. But overall, I did find myself thinking about this book when I wasn't reading it. And that for me, is like a big mark in a book's favor when it, it's got its claws into my brain enough that I can't really stop thinking about it and sort of picking at it. And I think that's what I was doing was was picking at the puzzle of the story. Um, I didn't really care that much about the main character. Uh, I didn't like I just didn't feel particularly strongly about that character. Um, and I, I don't think I even really cared all that much about the war. And I think the more I learned about the war, the less I cared about it. Yeah. But I was still so fascinated by the puzzle and the out of sequenceness of this person's timeline. So like, I think it was, it was effective. Um, but I don't know that I would want to dip back and in, back into that person's life to like read another book about this world. It was just the discovery at the same time as the main character that was interesting as I as I read it. So I feel like it was a it was it was well done on some fronts, but it didn't grip me emotionally in the mm, way that mm -hmm. I would have hoped. There's a there's a sequence uh, uh that happens early in the timeline of this, which is the destruction of is it Rio? Um uh, Sao Paulo. Uh, Sao Paulo. Wow. Paulo, uh, yeah. So many books about Sao Paulo these days. Yeah. And I'm reading the NK Jemison right now. Yep. Um uh, and then there's the end bit where you you see sort of like what's been going on on Mars a little bit, and I thought those were kind of intriguing. And then there's another. There are set. They're almost like set pieces. Um, the ones at the beginning and the end have this added social dimension of like what is it all about? Like a reveal of what happened to start this, and a, sort of what's going to end it. That um, add a little weight to it that maybe some of the other battles don't have. It is a real mishmash though, because like there are set pieces that are fascinating mostly because you don't know what's happening because you've been dropped into the middle of them as the character has and you don't have you don't know what the situation is so what's going to happen next and i do think that cameron hurley does a pretty good job of sort of portraying those parts but they're they they do kind of run together um there is some standard kind of like military 
training, you know, training the grunts kind of exercise stuff, which goes horribly wrong, by the way, that yeah. uh, <laughs> is early in the book that I think is there as a fake out to make you feel like it's more standard than it's actually going to be. But yeah, I, I agree. Like, I like this book and it, I thought about it a lot, but um, it I'm not sure it was executed as as well as as I hoped. I think it's interestingly telling that it was adapted from a short story hmm. or possibly oh. novella. I'm not sure which, but yeah, I, I was reading through the acknowledgements and mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah, I think I, I think I had heard that. And that to me kind of sums up some of my frustrations with this book is that it feels like stuff, there are parts that have been injected in order to flesh things out and it doesn't always gel mm -hmm. quite right. Like your point about some of those set pieces is that I didn't really... I didn't really get the um, it didn't feel satisfying in the way that like I didn't feel like, oh, I've been wondering the whole book what happened in this case. Right. And now at the yeah. end, I find out and it's like oh, I had forgotten about that because I was so wrapped up in the mystery of where this person's going. It's like, oh, I guess there was something that happened at the beginning that I was looking for a payoff on. But I just I couldn't remember what it was. So for me, that that fell a little flat just because I hadn't been sitting around my whole book going like, what was that about? I really feel like a. Uh as so frequently happens, Erica and I are on the same page. I'm not a huge military fiction person. I don't enjoy descriptions of battles. Um, I never really felt like I cared about any of the characters. I thought it was really interesting structurally in how it was put together and the time jumps and how kind of bit by bit, we're fed a little bit more information and we can put the picture together. But it wasn't like, it wasn't a book I was itching to get back to. And it isn't a book apparently that stuck with me for very long. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's fine to read. I understand why it was nominated for a Hugo. Like sometimes I read a book and I'm, I don't know why it's nominated, you know? Um, but I, I get it for this one, but it just wasn't, it's just not, not my sure. cup of tea. Yeah. Scott. I am a fan of military science fiction. Um, and so I enjoyed this greatly because, uh, people who are on the, the Nebula, uh, podcast, uh, know that there's a lot of bad there is. military science fiction out there mm -hmm. that perhaps even gets nominated for awards for some reason. Um, and there are tropes that are very particular to military science fiction, um, and they can be used well and they can be used poorly. Uh, and I think that this book uses it to just kind of subvert the, the genre, which I enjoy. Uh, I also like books that are kind of high concept and that are just throw you into the middle of things and try to confuse you, uh, and then bring you, walk you through, uh, you know, the, the different points of confusion and it crystallines, it crystallizes into, uh, a, uh, a coherent picture at the end. Um, so I really like this book. I gave it five stars on Goodreads. Mm. So uh, I must have very <laughs> much enjoyed it. I don't really remember too much about it uh, as uh, other people were talking about it, but I do remember the kind of the high points and enjoying it. And at the end of it thinking, this is a good book. And I have not been reading a lot mm. of science fiction as of late. So this is kind of like, you know, 
This is science really fiction is. science fiction. I want to add two things. One, I, I started this book and then put it down to read something else and then came back to it, which definitely <laughs> would definitely caused a little bit of, yeah, definitely caused a little bit of a blip when I tried to remember where I had left off. Uh, but the other thing I want to mention was, I, you know, I think to the point of why this got nominated for a Hugo, I, I agree. I feel like there, it kind of deals with a lot of stuff thematically that feels very relevant and I will, you know, go further and say very topical, right? Like it's it's not hard to tell that this was a book that was written in the era right. in which we are in right now. I feel like especially at the end, a lot of the themes that sort of are brought out, not just as subtext, but as like outright stated text kind of deal with very similar, like an extension of the political reality of today into the future. And I, you know, I, I appreciate that and... I don't have any objection to people. Uh, all, all art is political. I have no objection to that being included. I did feel it was occasionally a little heavy-handed in terms of its its points being made. Um, but yeah, that's you know personal personal feeling. I I actually highlighted just a few things from this book, and the very first one that <laughs> popped up is actually uh, the the sentences is this, and see what happened to America after it became everything it accused others of being it tore itself apart riddled by the rot of unfettered free speech drowned in a deluge of propaganda foisted upon an uneducated public with no formalized training in critical thinking yeah that was the part I was thinking of <laughs> yep <laughs> so I think I'm, I'm I'm with Dan and like you know lines like the corp knows best right that that kind of thing so there was enough of of that that Almost all of my highlights, actually, now that I look at it, are basically uh, political messaging that just stood out as being very of sure. of today's time. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. So if that's the kind of thing that you're not into, avoid this. But if that's something that you like, you will probably get a kick out of a decent amount of the lines in this book. It's time for a break from the show just for a moment to tell you about our sponsor. It's ExpressVPN. You've heard me talk about them before. Lots of reasons to use a VPN including uh, having the rest of the world not know what you're doing. And an incognito mode isn't going to do it. Your IP address is still out there. They can track you based on your IP address, build a profile. Your ISP can look at your data. They can build a profile. They can sell it. This is why you need ExpressVPN. It reroutes your internet connection through their ExpressVPN servers. Your internet service provider can't see the sites you visit. It's available on all your devices, your phones, your computers, even your smart TV. There's no excuse to not give it a try. I have used ExpressVPN quite a bit on my iPad. Super easy. Launch the app, one tap, and I'm at a different IP address in a different location, and nobody knows that it's me except me. I like that. Um, I'm not saying that people... Let, let me put it this way. Sometimes... Um, some entertainment is not available where you are, and it's not because you won't pay for it if you want to get it. It's because it's simply not available. I'm thinking of, like, anybody who lives in Iowa can't watch baseball because, like, eight teams think Iowa is their home, but lots of games are not available, so they're just completely locked out. You could move where you are using ExpressVPN. Just saying. I think that would be okay. Protect your online activity today. With ExpressVPN, which is rated the number one VPN by CNET and Wired, go to expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name. You can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Pay attention, Iowa. That's expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more. Thank you, ExpressVPN, for supporting The Incomparable. 
All right, let's move on to The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. Now, Charlie Jane Anders wrote uh, All the Birds in the Sky, which was nominated a couple of years ago. And did it win? It won something. It won the Nebula Award, did not win the Hugo Award. Um, And uh, listener, I did not like that book one bit. Um, uh, I liked The City in the Middle of the Night much better. I would say much better uh, than than I liked that book. In that, I liked it. I actually legitimately liked it. This is a uh, talk about Scott. You talk about your very sci-fi sci-fi oh, books. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the city in the middle of the night is uh, a weird. It's a tidally locked planet. So there's a always sun side and an always dark side, and then there's a very narrow range of twilight, and that's where the people live on this planet. And it turns out that the people have been there like a thousand years, and they can see the ship that brought them down, but they can't contact it, and all of their technology is breaking down. And life is hard in a little twilight uh, zone in the middle of the night. Uh, And it turns out there's an indigenous alien species on this planet, too, that they don't... Big shocker, the humans don't understand it, because the monster is... Us. It's us all along. Mm-hmm. And this is a story about the the kind of cultures that are on this planet. And there's a, a woman from a very kind of a religious fundamentalist uh, culture who uh, ends up being kind of left for dead and saved by the aliens, where she discovers that they're sentient and intelligent and have a culture and a society. And then she goes on a kind of a journey of, of, uh, of understanding. And there's also a kind of like traveling group of traveling uh, merchants and traders and thieves who um, she kind of connects with, and you know, and then there are kind of adventures in in the 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 two polar opposites on this little strip of of land uh, that they can live on of the fundamentalist city and the kind of anything goes the Las Vegas of this planet, <laughs> and then uh, and then overall like what are they going to do about the fact that the people seem to be falling apart and dying and the aliens seem to be maybe nicer than we were all led to believe and can they all kind of work it out and that's that's what this that's what the city in the middle of night is all about what do people think about this one i liked it fine um i think actually at the beginning i i found it pretty interesting with like you know kind of there's a a bit of slow reveal world building and you have a a point of view character who who i actually quite liked uh, at least at the beginning of the book. Um, so I was interested as I as I started reading this, I was just like, you know, reading more, trying to find out like, oh, you know, what what does this mean? Where where do they live? Uh, the uh, she ends up at one point visiting a, like a, a tea house kind of a place. This this fundamentalist city is very, very strict in terms of scheduling out the day. Right. Like different bits of time are very, very important. Because and they, it's like, always up... twilight. So they built in an mm-hmm. incredibly structured day. Everybody has to bring in their, put down their shades at a certain point. The consensus mm-hmm. about what's day and what is night has to be, is is brutally enforced so that they're all on the same schedule. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, and that's a neat science fictional idea that, that I appreciate because, yeah, if you don't actually have any nighttime, how do you determine when you're going to sleep, you know, to, in order to keep society functioning smoothly? So I was I was interested in that. She ends up in this like tea house where time is like people are people go there secretly sort of to relax and not pay attention to clocks. They're not allowed to bring like their watches or any timepieces in. And it's illegal. This. It's like an illegal yeah. tea house. Yes. Yeah. It's like a speakeasy for. Yeah. For slowing down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so like all that stuff is, is kind of interesting to me. But I think I gradually lost interest 
at a pretty linear rate <laughs> at one point. Like it just started to kind of like taper off. I think I think once I kind of got my head around this city and then for a while, at least the uh, it shifts places. And I think I got less interested after that. Um, and once it was about halfway through, I really felt like this book was dragging. And I kind of, I think in part because I was reading it f- specifically for awards and I had other stuff to read afterwards, the dragginess of the book made me even less well disposed toward the book. I was kind of resenting the fact that I had to come back and, and finish reading it because I had other stuff to get onto. Um, maybe my internal sense of regimented time was being offended by the fact <laughs> that I, I needed to keep reading this book that kind of just felt like it got bogged down toward the end. And by the end of the novel, I would say like I was neutral at best. So overall, if I average out the excitement that I had learning about it at the beginning and kind of how I was just like, okay, thank God it's done uh, at the end. I still came out, you know, I, I, I liked it fine. I would say I liked it fine, but it uh, it wasn't it wasn't like a roller coaster. It was more like a slide. We're not going to talk to Dan because Dan didn't read this one. Oh, Dan. Dan. I can't read them all. Come on. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Danny is not as strong as <laughs> I budgeted my time weirdly. I needed a break from stuff and then I picked up a different book and then mm-hmm. I just like, sure. I just didn't have enough. I feel like if you didn't have time for one, I think you did right by skipping this one. Oh, okay. I agree. Well, I disagree. Okay. Oh. Oh. I think there's okay. another one you could have skipped. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> Aline, Aline uh, do you have thoughts about uh, a city in the middle of the night? I, um, I did also like the beginning. I thought it was a little bit interesting that, that in the society, like Erica was, was talking about, they, ex- they, are so regimented about time that it's like illegal to do like you're not supposed to talk once the shades are down like it is like super strict and I thought that was I don't know I don't know that it added anything to the story and it was kind of weird it was like I kind of went off on a mental tangent thinking about why they had to be like that level of controlling um, I thought it was an interesting thing because in addition to their technology breaking down, the planet doesn't really seem to have any natural resources that people can leverage right. to create new stuff. Um, so they're basically on this plant- planet technologically de-evolving, um, which I thought was was an interesting thing. Uh, hated the end. I, I thought the end was just weird and when i think about all the birds in the sky i was okay at the beginning of that one too and then the (laughs) like the last i don't know half to third of it just completely lost me and that's kind of what happened here too is there's just like oh all right like i i don't know yeah it wasn't a direction i really cared about and it uh, i don't know that it was earned i don't i don't feel like i can say a whole lot more without Mm -hmm. spoiling anything yeah I, I know what you mean. The 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 part of the plot that the end sort of really gloms onto was something that at the beginning of the book I was kind of interested in, but became less and less interested sort of as it went on. So when it really leaned into that, I was kind of not really on board. Yeah. So it was. I mean, I like I liked it better than the Light Brigade, but I um I don't know. I just think that maybe 
Charlie Jean Anders and I have very fundamental, fundamentally different ways of like looking at the world and the things that we like are not the same because (laughs) I'm two for two on her writing. Like she's a, she's a great writer. Um, it's like well-constructed and interesting, but the directions that she goes just don't make a lot of sense to me. All right, Scott. I was uh, not very excited to read this book because all the birds in the sky I thought was fine, but it didn't really do much for me. Um, And so I was going in with low expectations uh, for the city in the middle of the night. Um, But as I said previously, I have been reading a lot of science fiction as of late for whatever reason. And uh, this is another example of a science fiction-y science Uh fiction book, uh, which I know is like a meaningless way to describe a book but uh it's like you know aliens and colonists with a spaceship and like a on a planet which is in space by the way it is in space (laughs) it's it's enveloping (laughs) but i really liked it i didn't it wasn't my favorite book um but i enjoyed uh the stuff about you know they could still see the ship they came in there's kind of this stratification of where you were in the ship right uh, where your ancestors Mm -hmm. were in the ship Mm -hmm. and that translates to their own time and they're kind of running out of technology and they're they're hunting these aliens without ever thinking that perhaps they're sentient beings and and the very presence of humans on this planet is basically ruining it for the aliens they Um, go out the people who are like the salvagers who go out into the frozen dark in order to try to find like old mm-hmm. trucks and and computers and stuff <laughs> that smash technology in order because now it, it was just discarded but now they're really desperate so they're going to go get that i thought that was really evocative mm-hmm. yes and and i guess this is a, a minor spoiler but the the main character as jason said earlier is part of this kind of sect that has these very deep beliefs and she remembers this one thing about this uh what is it a book uh that she has all the writings of their beliefs and she really wants to to get it so that she can have, you know, uh, a connection. And then through various things, she, she is told that it's basically meaningless and no one really believed it. And so, um, she's kind of disillusioned and I like mm-hmm. it when people become disillusioned like me. So, uh, yeah, she's, all on, those she's kind of on a quest <laughs> about like what, what her, her, uh, family was like and what the, these people that she lived with because they were like travelers and um it, and then in the end she finds out that it was all kind of made up and that um and the the real reason for them to die was you know kind of a dumb mistake and kind of meaningless right. and yeah and all life is meaningless yeah uh, and so i enjoyed it. i enjoyed it more than i thought i was going to um so uh that's you know Good job, Charlie Jane Anders. Well, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I this is not by any means my favorite of these six books, um, but yeah, I liked it a lot more than All the Birds in the Sky for a lot of the same reasons you did. I think I like the ending. I think that that it is you know maybe it reminded me a little bit of like a classic Star Trek. In the end, it's like we are the monsters, and it turns out <laughs> mm-hmm. the aliens actually could save us, but we have to give up a little bit of uh, you mm-hmm. know we have to lower down our defenses and maybe give up a little bit of our humanity in order to adapt to this planet. And they can teach us how to survive here. I also like the fact that although the humans have been wallowing around um, as their technology kind of fails them, that the aliens, it turns out again, a little minor spoiler, but the aliens can still call the the colony ship and talk to it and have technology that works with it. And that I found that hilarious, too. They've got like records of like video records of what happened a thousand years ago and stuff like that. All of this stuff that is passed beyond human memory. But the aliens have still got got it. They kept it around 
and I, I I think that's hilarious and fun too. So yeah, I didn't love it, but but I thought it was uh, I, I thought it was a really interesting again kind of collection of some social stuff and some what's it like to be on a tidally locked planet stuff and some alien interaction stuff and and like i i also agree that there are moments where it feels like it's going on forever most specifically when they get to that other city and it feels like you're starting a whole new book and that's the point where i thought please why 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 are we doing this and literally the book just sort of lingers there for way too long before finally we get going again that part that part could have uh could have gotten way slimmed down i think I felt like it started to drag even in on the the trek the trip to there. that city. Yep. Yeah. So once you get well. once you get there, I was just like, "Wow, this is a lot." <laughs> I like the thing with the pirates where they're going across a lake, but it's partially frozen, and then there are pirates. And there's this interesting calculation of like, um, it's not like pirates on on the high seas here. It's sort of like, well, they will kill us, but we could also kill them. But then we're all dead. And how does that work? And that's kind of what happens is lots of people from both sides die and they kind of adopt a pirate. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting set piece. But yeah, the road the road to get to the city is long. And once they're there, there's this moment where you're where you have to be introduced to all the politics of this other city. And I did not care at that point. That was it was too much of that for me. There's also a. Uh... A, a, a relationship between one of the two main characters and another a girl that she has gone to school with. And oh, right. I was invested in that emotionally, like at the beginning. And then it kind of it goes in a direction that I wasn't expecting, but it wasn't like, oh, that's unexpected. That's interesting. It's sort of like, oh, I didn't expect that. And I'm not sure I'm super like it was an interesting delving into what would actually happen if two people were separated for a while and led very, very different lives right. than the either one the, than either expected. Um, but it, I found it emotionally unfulfilling, I think. So, yeah, I don't like it when people are dis- disappointed. She, they, they assume she's dead, right? And she's saved by the aliens, but but they, she doesn't come back because she would be mm-hmm. under death sentence. And so I like that first moment where they're reunited because it's my, one of those things where it's like, aren't you so happy that I'm alive? And the other one is like, you mean you've been alive all this time and you didn't come back? And she's very angry. I thought that was really interesting. But then we yeah. see her again at the end of the story and it's like, mm, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not as not as as strong, I think. Um, but, but I liked it. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think Scott and I maybe liked it more than the, uh, mm-hmm. the rest of you, but, uh, except so. for Dan who didn't read it. Cause you know, you can't read everything, Dan. It's okay. Right. It's you can't okay. read everything. No, you can't. <laughs> let's, let's move on to middle game by Sean McGuire. Now this is a book that if you, if you read it, congratulations, because, uh, it's 500 pages long and I was reading it thinking, is it? Oh my God. It's hard, hard to tell on the Kindle. This I know. Well, yeah, I read it on I, the Kindle wow. and, and I just kept thinking, wow, this book is really long. <laughs> Shouldn't um, this book be over? Yeah, and well, yeah, and you know, there are books that I read and I hate, and and I don't think they're long, and they're ones that stretch on forever. And I didn't hate Middle Game. Shauna McGuire. Now, you know, we really ripped into her book uh, feed when she, written as Mira Grant in a very early episode of The Incomparable, and I've kind of turned around on a lot of her later stuff because there's a Wayward Children series that she's written, and we talked about it in last year's Hugo episode that I think is actually really great, and I. I'll put my cards on the table here. I liked Middle Game, but I would have liked it a lot better if it was half as long. 
because no. that, that's kind of my review of it is I kind of liked it. I like the idea that this is, this is a story about uh, Roger and Dodger, two children who Ugh. are created by, created by the devil in a pair in order to control the universe, essentially, among many other uh, devil-created uh, children who are also like beta testing the destruction of the universe and the ascension of this guy who is essentially the devil into control of the universe. And they, you know, they can, they can talk to each other and they're kind of best friends because they have a mental link and then they get separated and then they meet again. And the, the, meanwhile, the, there are machinations about the end of the world and they're repeating, doing sort of like they, they're in a time loop that we get hints of at various points. One of the delightful things in this book is the chapter numbering because we, we, we keep coming back to chapter 13 or something and then backing up. I had to up. double check like, oh. every time. I was like, wait, am I starting this in the right place? Nope. What is no, happening? Because there's a time loop. So they keep backing up the chapters and stuff, which is- which It's tricky I, on a Kindle. I, I, yeah, I, I thought that was all uh, really fun. And and so, yeah, I kind of liked this book, except except that it's it's way too long. And I kept reading and thinking, are we going anywhere? I kept feeling like we would have chapters that would pass that didn't really advance the story at all, where the bad guys are having conversations and showing how evil they are by saying things or killing characters who you don't even know who they are, but now they're dead. So isn't that person evil? And the, uh, the main characters are a little one note uh, for a book this long. They don't do a lot of change. They do a lot of behaving exactly the same way in scene after scene after scene. So it, it's not. I, I don't think it's perfect by any means, but overall, I enjoy having read it. I thought it was kind of a wild ride. The conclusion is like a secret fortress under a cornfield in middle America where there's horrible things happening. And like lots of it I really liked, but... Um, but per page, it just got exhausting that there yeah, was so much of it. So that's my that's my review of it is, I think there's a good novel here. It would be half the length. It would be 250, 300 pages, not 500 pages. And that's, that's I think, how I think about middle game. I think I'm almost on the same page with you, Jason. I, I agree. I think in and of itself, I surprisingly, you know, enjoyed spending time with the characters like there there is something interesting about the relationship between Roger and Dodger. I think that that, that is well fleshed out yeah. like seeing how they complement each other, seeing explaining that they're sort of like two parts of the same whole. Like I enjoyed their interactions and I and you know again, I I I think I I kept reading a lot of times because I was feeling compelled to find out, oh, what happens next? Are they going to find out? Are they going to like discover this thing that they are, you know, connected in some way? Like, what are the implications of that? What's going on? Like, and so I, I kept turning the pages, um, but it did feel like it stretched on for a long time. And then occasionally at time, I feel like some of the really interesting stuff um, comes much later and really when it be starts becoming explicit like with some of the time loop stuff and like mm -hmm. there's some late light time travel or communication throughout time that's yep. kind of cool and and i like a lot of the details sprinkled in here too like so i didn't read the physical copy but i had seen it around the stores and the thing on the front of the cover is the hand of glory yeah which it which comes <laughs> up a bunch of there and I, I was like reading the wikipedia pages of like this is cool like that's an interesting thing i i definitely had like a note about that for something similar to that years ago and like oh this is a cool weird occult thing uh, but I wanted more of that flavor, I felt like. Um, and I, I felt that it went on so long that by the end, I didn't 
I'm not sure I cared and I'm not sure that I knew what they were going for. Like this whole Mm. idea of what they're trying to attain to control the universe is very vague and Mm -hmm. they don't really explain what's the deal with it. Like how (laughs) it was like, it's really important. It's really important that you guys do this because otherwise other people, bad people are going to do this. It'll be bad. And it's like, okay, okay. And then you get to the end. It's like, all right, you achieve the good thing. Maybe. Eh. What is it? How does it, what does it mean? And I was like, I, I actually don't know. Mm. And then, of course, you know, not to color things too much, but like, you know, like last week or something, I think I sent, sent a post to one of our Slack rooms. It's like, so they're, now she's writing a sequel. And I'm like, uh, you know, 500 pages in. I'm not sure this cried out for a sequel for me. Like, I, I'm not sure that I need another 500 pages about these people. Um, but, you know, I, I can't deny that I enjoyed the experience of reading it. Uh, even if at the end I was kind of like, I don't really know what I just read, but mm. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, so I am shocked that it was 500 pages. I, I had loved it. Because yay! Yeah, <laughs> I I will admit I went into this with a little bit of a preconceived notion because I had read what some of you guys had said about it at dragging. So I may have like my contrariness might have played a little bit of a role in how much I liked it. But I don't know, Aline. Why did you love it? I really liked the exploration between of the relationship between Roger and Dodger. I liked the like the telekinetic element of it. I liked I, I don't know. I agree with Jason that I don't feel like those two characters matured over time. Mm-hmm. You know, we we get a span of time with them starting when they're I don't know like 7 or yeah. 8 or something until they're 20 like late 20s yeah they're grad, grad student age right so mid 20s yeah so I, I, and i feel like they were you know fairly consistent throughout all of that and in fact thinking back on it because i listened to this it's a 17 hour audiobook oh my goodness <laughs> yeah it's long i listened to it and it was read by um Amber Benson, who is oh. an amazing, um, who is a great actress and amazing at audiobooks. Uh, but I don't think she changed the voices for the two of them as they grew either, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about retrospectively. But I really, I liked their, their relationship. I like that they basically saved the world, um, from from the big bad um and i don't know i just i i thought it was a really interesting setup for a story i i mean i do think it could have been a little shorter i don't know what i would have cut from it and i agree i don't know that i need a sequel i thought it was a pretty good standalone mm-hmm. book but yeah i had a good time reading it yeah i i i agree basically with all the stuff you said i i felt like the consistency of the characters from the beginning of the book to the end was because they're not actually people. Yeah, they're um, avatars of words yeah. and yeah. numbers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't really make sense for them to, uh, for their fundamental personalities to change. Um, because, yeah, they're they're two halves of the same whole that, uh, that can take over the world. My issue isn't so much that they don't change is that because they don't change, they don't ever do anything different. That's sort of my feeling is that I got frustrated as it went. And again, I liked it. I liked it fine. <laughs> but I did feel like we were I was seeing them have the same conversations and the same relationship over and over again because they were so consistent. Then like they go they get them apart, they come back together. And that mm-hmm. was that was part of what, you know, I think made it drag for me is that it, it felt kind of samey. 
just to add to that quickly, I feel like one of the things I struggled with was the tension of kind of feeling like I got ahead of them. Like, oh, you know, you guys, like, this is the thing that, like, this is connecting you. Like, this is the stuff you can do. And I was like, get to it. Realize yeah, it. Realize. Like, and, like, it they get there. They do get there, but it takes a lot longer than I was hoping. <laughs> Just I, like real life. <laughs> yeah, I felt like this was uh, like this book was really just written for readers who are very much like me because it's like at first I thought it was going to be a portal fantasy, but it really never quite becomes that. It's uh, and it's it's not quite like an iterative novel where it's, you're doing the time repeating thing, but it is but it to is, an yeah. extent, which I mean, and that is kind of why I didn't mind them doing sort of the same things over and over again and having the same conversations because I felt like that was like a narrative reflection of these iterations in time that are also happening on another level in in the novel. Um, but it's not really an iterative novel completely either. Instead, it's more like it's like a meditation on portal fantasies with a lot of philosophy thrown in and a decent dollop of the iteration slash repeating time thing. But it's structured around the lives of two characters that I really found compelling. I mean, maybe not entirely likable, but I don't necessarily need to like the characters as, right. as long as I'm interested in in what they're doing. Um, and and I felt like I never I agree that I never really completely understood exactly like what they are as as the doctrine um, and how they can take over the world. But I sort of felt that. I was glad that that was all left vague because it was kind of entirely beside the point. It was more about their journey of discovery, which to me took just the right amount of time. I, Like I said, I was shocked to discover that it was 500 pages because I just had the percentage at the bottom of my Kindle as I was as I was reading through this. Um, so I only ever knew like how far along I was in the book, not how many pages I'd actually gone through. And you never had that moment th that I had where I looked down and I was like, Jeez, really only 30%? No. And and because I had had heard from from some of you guys that you felt like it dragged, I was kind of waiting for that moment to happen. Uh -huh. So I would like kind of check and be like, "Nope, I'm still enjoying it. It still still feel like it's it's Good zipping along. It's 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 pr propulsive enough that it's it's keeping me going." And and then there was one character who I think was like dribbled in at the beginning in like tiny tiny doses yeah. and didn't become sort of a more major part until the end and that was sort of the thing that kind of really kept me going because I think Aaron is the yeah. VIP of mm -hmm. this book. For she's sure. actually in she's actually introduced before either of the other main characters if we ignore the sort of like last chapter that's the first chapter um but like so she's introduced first and she keeps the action going in this fundamental way that really feels to me like onerous and exhausting and i just feel for this character even though she's really callous and, and violent um but but she's the only one that can kind of remember some of the things when the world resets and we have this iteration sort of thing happening and i mean i kind of wish that she was actually introduced a little more a little earlier but she couldn't have been in order for the the plot to sort of kick forward in the way that uh shauna mcguire is was aiming at so like i just i really really enjoyed this book but I also am surprised to hear that there is a sequel coming and I have very mixed feelings about that because yeah. I feel like that will have to get more into the vague the vague stuff that I didn't really understand and I'm not sure I want to understand it. Mm -hmm. I was a little perplexed by uh, the choice of time setting, like, wh like when it's set in time because it's not present day, but it's not like, it's you know, it's like, what, fuck? 
five to ten years ago or something like that like i was just tracking it to go and i felt like some of it got pinned in certain places because they needed the plot needed certain things not to be possible like there's a fairly crucial part that involves a payphone and not a cell phone and if there had been cell phones it might have changed the equation Ah, and so i kind of felt like that was why it was set in the timing that it was set which was a little strange um i i don't it just seems somewhat arbitrary to me so my gut feeling about this and I, i i don't know this to be sure but um there's a lot of detailed Bay Area geography here, the sutro baths at the end and and what's happening in, in, around Stanford and a lot of there's a lot of Berkeley in this. And I think maybe Sean McGuire is mining her history and perhaps tying it to the time that she spent in in these places in the Bay Area. That was my that was my guess. Uh, Scott's been very quiet. I'm going to tell you, Scott didn't like this book. Tell us why, Scott. I did not like this book, and I went into it primed to like it because I have not liked anything that Sean McGuire has written, and I'm feeling bad about it. Uh, and so I was like, I cannot. I must. I must uh, just open your you heart. Know, forget. Forget all those <laughs> other books, and uh, give this one a fair shake because I know a lot of people like it. A lot of people like Sean McGuire, so I'm missing something. So let me, you know. Uh, Come to me, book. I am ready to accept you. Um, so, uh, good things about this book: uh, the siblings didn't want to have sex with one another, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's an improvement. They made that kind of weirdly and abundantly clear a lot. Well, well, this, this is, so you, you think this is obvious, but uh, if you read feed, you know it's not. <laughs> oh boy. So that was good. Um, <laughs> I had the, Scott, I had the exact same thought. I'm like, from the author of Feed This, oh, thank God they're not doing that. Okay, good. Exactly. Uh, other than that, I struggle. Um, so I know what an astrolabe and an orrery are. Um, <laughs> Sean and McGuire apparently doesn't. So that annoyed me. Uh, I question when they get to college, I'm like, oh, they're undergrads because they're having, she's kind of explaining a very undergraduate experience. And then no, it turns out they're graduate students, which I didn't buy. Uh, I didn't like the main characters. I find their names annoying. Uh, did <laughs> you know? I think you're supposed to. Yeah. I think that's true. So well, good job. job done. <laughs> uh, and, you know, did I know that numbers are also poetry and that kind of thing? Like, oh, good God. And these characters are so stupid. They can't figure out, like, they can tell telepathically talk to someone else they don't think that's too strange and that they might not they might be connected in some way uh i just i didn't like it it didn't work for me it's is also to be fair to shana mcguire it's far better than feed uh oh yes. uh she has uh you know she's she's she she is prolific so she is she is getting better i still don't and I, I think she just chooses to write about things that I don't like in yeah, well, fair in kind of like mm-hmm. genres. Like it's a very specific kind of tone and genre that she's writing in. And I just don't like it. Uh, she's trying to be, you know, it's this, it's, uh, and her, so humor, super subjective, right? And her humor, uh, which is in a lot of this book, doesn't work for me. So I just kind of found it annoying. Uh, everybody's wisecracking. And I felt like every character wisecracked in exactly the same way which i found exhausting it's <laughs> fair so there you go that's fair i yep i would be curious how you like the wayward children novellas because those are my mm-hmm. favorite things that she's done um and the only thing that i would actually recommend um unreservedly uh that sh- that i've read of hers although i think middle game is has has some good stuff in it like i like i said i just think it's too, it feels too long to me but wow a lot of split decisions on on middle game 
Scott, I'm glad you opened your heart to Sean and McGuire. I'm sorry I what did. happened. And next, I, I gave but... it two stars, not just one. So, <laughs> yeah. so there. I didn't. I didn't okay. hate it. Yeah, it's, so not, it's no feed. That. It's no feed. Oh, oh. my goodness! Oh, Don't read feed. Boom. Um, that brings us to the end of our six novels, which means you know what it means. You, you must ice cream. You must ra- it, uh, yes. Get yourself ice cream after <sighs> you rank them, mm. and I will go first. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my rankings first. We're gonna build our consensus pick, and this is gonna be a little bit of a trend, uh, which is the Nebulas did it better, <laughs> um, except for that one book that I didn't like in the Nebulas because my ranking is a memory called Empire one, the Ten Thousand Doors of January two. Gideon the Ninth, three. Those are the Nebula nominees that crossed over. I have the Light Brigade, fourth. The City in the Middle of the Night, fifth. And Middle Game, sixth. I will say this for the Hugo nominees. um, I didn't hate any of them. And there was one (laughs) Nebula Award nominee that I disliked quite a lot. So, uh, but, but again, very happy to go through a novel shortlist process and not feel like, the novel shortlist people were throwing terrible books at me again and again to punish me for something. It was a pretty good <laughs> list, even though I put the three new ones at the bottom of my list. Uh, who would like to rank things next? Well, I'm ready because I already voted. Okay, Erica. <laughs> oh. Uh, so yeah, A Memory Called Empire, also number one, still still my favorite book of the last year. Um, number two, I actually had Middle Game because I really, okay. really liked it. Uh, number three is where I put Gideon the Ninth, which I also really, really liked. And number four is The Light Brigade. Even though I didn't like it, I still thought it was good. So it's number four. Um, then number five is The 10,000 Doors of January. And very, very close number six. I almost flipped them around. Um, six was The City in the Middle of the Night. I thought they were about even in, for me. All right. I'm not ranking The City in the Middle of the Night, which I did not read. So I'll rank the other five. Uh, Gideon the Ninth, still my favorite of all the ones I read. Memory Called Empire, close second. Uh, it gets a little fuzzier here, but I think I would put the 10,000 doors of January third, uh, middle game fourth, surprising even me because I did have some problems with it, but I did enjoy the experience of reading it and the light brigade, uh, technically a good book, like in the technical aspects of it, but it really, it did not land for me. So it has to go at the bottom of the list. Unfortunately, I don't think it was bad, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah, that's fair. Scott. Uh, memory called Empire is number one. Uh, the Light Brigade, number two for me because I liked it. So that seems uh-huh. like a good reason. Number three, The 10,000 Doors of January because I also really like that book. But I feel like for the Hugos, uh, science fiction edges out uh, kind of fantasy portal stuff for Fair. me. Uh, Gideon the Ninth because I feel like those characters are all wisecracking in the same way, but I actually thought it was funny. Uh, the City <laughs> in the Middle of the Night is fifth. And then number six is middle game because it's not a good book, but it is uh, on the list. So unlike other Sean and McGuire books that I left off my list, this one actually gets on the list. All right. And Aline? Oh, I still don't know. Um, So Gideon the Ninth is number one for me by a wide margin, I think. Um, Then middle game. Then a memory called Empire. Um... I think then the 10,000 doors of January. Okay. (laughs) Then it all falls apart. Um, I think I've got to go 
the city in the middle of the night and the light brigade last. All right. Uh, and that means that our uh, consensus list is a memory called Empire, followed by Gideon the Ninth. I think that's how the Nebula consensus list to went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10,000 Doors of January, The Light Brigade, Middle Game, and The City in the Middle of the Night. That's fine. That's a nice list. Thank you, everybody. Now, there are many other things nominated for, for Hugo Awards. I want to at least uh, mention some of the novellas, novelettes, and short stories that are up for grabs here um, I read all but one of them from those categories. Um, wow. I don't know if other people I read uh, them all. did. Erica read them all. There was one that was only presented as a PDF, and um, I it was by Sean McGuire, and I had just read Middle Game, <laughs> and I was like, you won't give me a Kindle version of your book, of your novella, and I'm running out of mm-hmm. time, and you know, I, I gave you 500 pages of Middle Game. What do you want from me? Yeah. So. That, that one was another uh, one in the Every Heart a Doorway um thing oh. so you you may want to read it eventually will, but that was annoying in pdf form or i'll just buy it um yeah that's true well I, i'm trying to read that series in order now because i read it out of order for the hugos mm-hmm. last year um okay so in the best novella category two uh, novellas that we covered in incomparable episodes as wild yeah. as that sounds to be taught a fortunate by becky chambers and this is how you lose the time war by amal motar and max gladstone so um we we've already talked about those in other episodes um, those were also my two favorite novellas of this group. And I placed them one and two. I put Becky Chambers one and, uh, I put, uh, how you lose the time war two, but really I loved them both. So, um, I don't know if there's more to say about them. Listen to our complete episodes about those two. Yeah. Um, I, I put them two and three. Okay. Oh, yep. oh, you got something else. So the other nominees in this category, um, there's uh, uh, Ted Chang's story from his Exhalation collection, which got a lot of nominations this year, which is Anxiety is the Dizziness of Freedom. There is a story called The Haunting of Tramcar 015. There's The Deep, which is by River Solomon, but is on the song that was nominated for the Hugo Award. Uh, was it two years ago? That's that's uh, by uh, a, a group that includes David Diggs. Clipping. Um mm-hmm. And then there's In an Absent Dream by Shauna McGuire. Erica, what, anything you want to call out here? You had a number one that, that isn't those two. So what, what was your number one? I did. I, I just think Ted Chang can write the heck out of a story, man. Like he just, his ability to take a neat science fiction idea and interrogate it in a beautiful, thoughtful way just totally worked for me. It's, it's a multiverse story. And it, it like just the, the whole concept of the way that he teased it out uh, really, really worked for me. Um, a lot and then I, I had to so I had to mark that as as number number one and like number four then was In an Absent Dream by Shauna McGuire it's not my favorite of her portal fantasy books um, this one deals with rules like a lot and it was a little hmm. too rule heavy uh, for me so yeah those are the ones I liked so for me um, I I really enjoyed Ted Chang's uh, collection and I like his work. Um, and I, I put anxiety as the dizziness of freedom at number three for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a parallel universe mechanism story and it makes you think about it. And I think it was really well done. Um, I didn't, I didn't like some of his other nominees, but I really like that one. I also really loved and highly recommend to people, the haunting of Tramcar zero one five, which is set in just, it's a fun universe where in the late 19th century, um, Egypt discovers like and opens a 
portal to genies and magic and becomes a world power. And so it's a alternate history kind of, but you know, it's also the story of there's like William, there's like suffragettes in Cairo, but they're all just trying to find out what ghost is haunting this tram car so that they can get it out. And it's like, can they find a genie to exorcise it? Or is there like a cultist they can get to? And I just, I was delighted by the whole thing. I thought it was fun and weird and a strange setting. So I really like the haunting of tram car zero one five. I feel like I read one of his other shorts and now i'm trying to this find out which P. one it is jilly clark i think I yeah know. i think i read yeah. a dead gin in cairo which uh, is another one of uh, his probably yeah, set I'm, in the same world i think probably. so yeah, yeah. And i had that one i've had that one on my list for a while to get around to i just it's it's good slow. i really liked it it was my last choice oh no <laughs> just no. i it was it felt almost steampunky to me a little bit just in the way that they had sort of and, I, and you know i don't like you steampunk, don't like steampunk and you don't like alternate history and uh, that's exactly. what it is it, i loved it i thought it was great exactly so that was that was it and i didn't care about the story so yeah i read i've read that and i enjoyed it greatly as yeah. well yeah it's really good i i uh, ranked the deep uh fifth the last of the ones i read um mm-hmm. also felt kind of long um, but good. Yeah. Um, it was good. I just didn't mm-hmm. like it as much as the others, and it dragged a little bit more um, to get to the point. But the the idea of of adapting that song and sort of like doing a story kind of set in the universe of the song that got named for Hugo, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a fun idea. And it's good. It's just. Um, it, it, yeah. It just it it dragged a little bit more than the others did. Yeah. I. I, I agree. I feel like it kind of suffered from the same thing the haunting of Tramcar 015 did is like, I just don't like the setting. I don't, I find that I don't like stories about the ocean or water or sea creatures oh. or like, so I I'm like learning a lot about Erica and Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of the story a lot more than the story itself. Yeah. And in the end, I ended up like enjoying the, the characters, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was ranked a little bit lower just because it was, <laughs> sorry ocean all right so um <laughs> do you just apologize to the ocean i think i did <laughs> sorry sorry ocean. ocean i don't like the ocean you. has no feeling for you to hurt <laughs> I don't okay? like you. the ocean doesn't get that's the great thing about the ocean it doesn't care about us one way or the other <laughs> sorry ocean <laughs> sorry. so um best novelette my favorite here is the art chronology of love by carolyn yokum which is about Oh, I don't even know what to say. There's like a technology you can use to see in the into the past, um, but it's sort of destructive. And these are people who are going to a planet, but they're in space because they're not on the planet yet. It's a key point. Um, and everybody who was down on the planet in the advanced team has died, and they're trying to find out why. And the main character's partner was on the team. Um, and they and and so you can go back in time and see them, but you can't interact with them. But you could also potentially like go to go forward in time. And so she she's like hoping she will see him and get a moment with him to understand what's gone on. And I really I thought it was evocative and sad. And um and I I really liked the mechanism of sort of like being the the premise is what if archaeology but for time. And I I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, Carla is like. She's really good at beautiful, sad stories. <laughs> like she can, she can really rip your heart out. Um, so I, I, this whole category, you could almost like just except for one, throw them up in the air and let them land on the ground. And I, I liked all of them quite a bit. Then there were there were a bunch that were just like bunched up at the top for me. So I'm not even. I don't even know for sure if I'm going to leave how they I rank them as how they rank them. But yeah, that was a great one. So Amazon did this collection called the Forward Collection, and the, and it's got a bunch of different. Um, 
fairly well thought of authors in it. And one of the pieces is was a thing called Emergency Skin by N.K. Jemison that I read last year, actually. Mm. And um, I I thought it was great. It's about it's about essentially like white supremacists get fed up with um, justice on Earth. So they leave. But now they're coming back and they assume that Earth, they leave it to rot and then they come back assuming that it's rotted and it's not. (laughs) It's a paradise and they blew it. Mm -hmm. And there's more detail than that, but that's the sort of gist of it. And I, I liked it a lot and I ranked it second. It's also very cleverly written. It's in second person. And it's I felt like it was just structured, structured very well. I also really, really liked that. N.K. Jemison, have you heard of her? She's yeah, really surprise. good. She's, She's pretty good. good. She's, pretty She's good. really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I ranked, oh, Erica, now you said you don't like one of them, and I'm worried about which one you didn't <laughs> like, because um, there's one I didn't like, too, but I don't think it's going to be the one you didn't like. I really liked a story called For He Can Creep by Siobhan oh, Carroll, which is there about a cat. And I know it's, it, it is, it is, it is about a cat who's protecting a poet from a demon in an English jail in the 1600s. And I think it's hilarious. And I really liked it a lot. Uh, And it's sort of basically like taking literally a poem that was written by a poet in, in the 1700s in the mental institution and make taking it for granted of like, yes, the cat, it can actually see the demons and is trying to protect him from the selling his soul to the devil. And he gets other, uh, other kittens and cats involved and i thought it was great and only a monster would dislike it i'm glad you liked it jason i am pleased that it brought joy to your life i put it under no award Ooh. i really i really didn't like it it just it didn't work for me on it. on any level i'm sorry i found it delightful and i thought about it after i read it which was great <laughs> Good. Uh, sarah gailey's away with the wolves is also really great and that's a story about a disabled person who is not disabled when she is a wolf because she is a werewolf and how she balances the two lives and finds a way to come to a good place with her life. And uh, you read this story, didn't you? I did. I read it for the Uncanny Magazine podcast, episode 30A, if you're interested. Mm. Um and it literally made me cry as I was reading the story on the podcast, which doesn't happen very often. Um, and it still like makes my heart hurt in a good way. And like my eyes missed up with tears every time I think about it. And I do still think about the story a lot. Um, I don't live with chronic pain, but I do have some issues that like made this story hit close to home. And it just it just worked for me. I, like, I felt like it was a really well structured story and what it was getting at just really meant something to me. And there's a really good interview uh, with Sarah Gailey in the same podcast episode. So if you want to hear like what they were thinking when they wrote the story and like where it came from, uh, you can you can hear that. Great. The Blur in the Corner of Your Eye by Sarah Pinsker, which you also read for Uncanny Magazine, did you not? I certainly did. Like, and th- these were two of my favorite stories uh, that I got to read. So it was really cool that they were they were both nominated. I loved the blur in the corner of your eye so much. It uh, it, it was it's it's like a spooky kind of horror story, mm-hmm. which is not usually the kind of thing that I'm drawn to. Um, but it really really worked for me. Yeah, Sarah Pinsker. I have I've come to really like her work. This is not my mm-hmm. favorite of hers, although I thought it was okay. It is a 
Yeah, it is a spooky story. It's like a, a writer of of murder mysteries discovers a dead body and like, but oh, there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I see what you're doing here, but I enjoyed it. She's a very good writer. Yeah, like it was scary and creepy, but intense. But then, like, also it was kind of touching and sweet uh, yeah. in the end. So it, I loved it. And uh, Ted Chang can do no wrong. Uh, his story Omphalos was nominated for best novelette. It's sort of about an alternate universe where sort of fundamentalist uh religious theology is the order of the day in uh america and then there is a sort of quote-unquote scientific discovery that calls things into question and the characters in it um have to deal with that and i gotta be honest it's swinging a miss for ted chang i thought it was a bad story ah yeah i I didn't love this one it's a bad story i yeah, so, I, everybody loves him. Everybody loves him. I, I'm going to have to speak truth to power here a little bit. Bad story. <laughs> He's a wonderful writer. He's one of our best science fiction short story writers, if not the best. It's a bad story. Don't like it. <laughs> I felt like he 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 did his same thing, interrogating a, an idea in in a, a thoughtful way. I didn't really care that much for that idea. It was really heavy handed and un- it was unpleasant to read and very obvious about what it was trying to say. And mm-hmm. I know it's sort of like, but isn't it clever? Because you're seeing how they're being challenged, but they're in this theocracy, and it's like, yeah, I get it. Mm, no, mm-hmm. no. Yep. Take that, Ted Chang, brilliant writer. <laughs> okay, let's let's uh, knock off these short stories here. Erica, you and me, mm-hmm. we're going to do this. Um, my favorite was And Now His Lordship is Laughing by Shiv Ramdas, which is a story about British colonialism in India. And it, too, is sort of a horror story in the sense that there is an old woman who knits dolls and uh, the they kill her whole village because she won't knit a doll for the uh, for the the British guy who's in charge. Um and uh, in the end, they kill everybody and she knits him a cursed doll that kills everybody. And <laughs> you know what? I thought it was really great. I love stories that take me to a place I haven't been and make me think about, uh, in this case, historical events that really happened, uh, except mm-hmm. not with the creepy doll. So as I far it. as we know, as far as we know, maybe there was mm-hmm. a creepy doll. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked that one. Okay, it wasn't one of my favorites. Uh, my favorite was "Do Not Look Back, My Lion" by Alex one. E. Harrow, which Alex uh, Harrow, place... by the way, yep. everybody who is excited about Gideon the Ninth, she's got a short story too, and oh it's my really God, good. How did I not? I didn't even put that together. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Turns out she can write a story too. Um, <laughs> it was like. It was a gut punch to me. It's in this this world where um, the military leaders are are women, like big, strong, fat women who are beautiful Amazons and scar their faces and you know, in, in, in for like battle glory. And there are also gentle women who act as husbands and are sort of downtrodden in society. They're not very looked looked very favorable on because this is a time of war and it's it's important to to keep the 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 war style women um up and and doing things to to defend their country and this is told from the perspective of the woman who is a husband to like the greatest military uh, battle leader and it's it's really beautiful and sad and says a lot of things and their relationship is just it's really cool <laughs> i just love that story yeah yeah i like that uh 
I like that one a lot. The only one I ranked above that is actually um, is S.L. Huang's story as The Last I May Know, which is a mm-hmm. very Twilight Zone kind of story. It's about uh, the, a country where they've created an ultimate weapon, essentially like a nuclear weapon. And the only way that the president of the country can blow up the nuclear weapons is that they, they take a young child and the young child lives in the president's house and she's just there as like his closest body servant. Yes, she's she's always around him. Mm-hmm. And the only way that he can um launch the nuclear missiles is if he kills her with his own hand and pulls the codes from her from bleeding her body. corpse. Yeah. And you know what? I know it's such a concept. I, I thought it was great. It, it like it was. and it goes right to all of the things that would be a part of that and the sacrifice of children in war and all that, like I thought, it, I thought it was a very good. That's what a short story should do. I thought it was a clever idea, well executed, and then you get in, get out. Yep, it's beautifully told. It's poetic. It punches you. Uh, yeah, that's great. The other three stories in this category didn't love so much. There's this thing that's basically not even a story called Ten Excerpts from an Annotated Bibliography on the Cannibal Women of Ratnabar Island, which is very clever, but kind of left me cold. <laughs> clever is exactly what I wrote down to. Yep, it's clever. Mm-hmm. I didn't love this is the one that you read that I didn't like Erica uh, <laughs> Catalog of Storms by Fran Wild um, it's about people who are there's weather and but the weather is more than what you think it's going to be and there's a family and there's people who want to be the weather people in the family and uh, it didn't work for me sorry Fran Wild that, and that's that's fine you don't have to like everything I read Jason uh, but but I did I did enjoy it um possibly in part because I dug into it enough to to read it and sort of like look at it from the perspective of some of those family members. And I'm a little bit of a sucker for a story about someone who is like being told that they're supposed to do something and actually wants to go and do something else. So that really worked for me on an emotional level. And I thought the imagery was was really beautiful. So I liked it. And then uh, the last nominee in this category is Blood is Another Word for Hunger by River Solomon. Yeah, this is another revenge story that to me was actually more interesting than and now his lordship is laughing. I, I like this one a little bit a, a little bit better. Um it's a, a slave girl who kills her owners and then births into the world um more people um that were killed badly. Um yes. to sort of like balance out the number of people that, that she killed and it's about how they live together and deal with what they've done and yeah i I just i kind of liked that the revenge in this story was at the beginning and then we read about the fallout as opposed to reading the build up to the revenge and then having the revenge be the end it was fine these three didn't make me kind of lean forward like the the other the top three for me did but but again none of them that made me want to throw other than that ted chang novelette that made me want to throw the kindle (laughs) across the room so that's that's always a good thing and then i don't know i mean Hugo's have a lot of other categories, yeah. including mm-hmm. some many silly categories. Of course, Uncanny Magazine is up for semi-prosine. And so we hope that uh, Erica and her husband, Stephen, along with Lynn Thomas and Michael Damian Thomas and all the other people there, uh, get yet another Hugo Award. But, um, you know, there, there, yes, but there are lots of categories there. Um, I'm, I, I voted for Nava Wolf for Best Editor Long Form, Dan, because so, you introduced Woo-hoo. me to her. So, mm-hmm. hey, it's somebody I know I voted for. And she's edited some really good amazing stuff. Yeah. she's 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 a great editor she is yep um the only things i'll I'll call out and erica i don't know if you want to call anything out but like i voted in related work uh for joe straczynski's 
um, memoir, Becoming Superman, because I really like that book. I thought it was really good. And it got nominated. So I'm like, all right, I guess it's related. I'll vote for it. I didn't have a chance to read it, unfortunately, yeah. um, but I would I would like to. I think the other thing that I really enjoy voting for every year is best fan artist and best professional artist, oh. because I just get to open up these beautiful files of, of pictures. And sometimes it's pictures of like jewelry or sculpture or something like that. And just like, you know, stare for a little while ah. and. And then, you know, just like which of these which of these artists has captured something that really touches my soul? What do I en- enjoy looking at and kind of ranking them based on on just like a, a gut feeling in, in a way that I don't necessarily do with a book because I don't know a lot about art. I can just like look at it and does it make me happy? Does it make me feel something? Whereas with a book, I know more about structure and storytelling and right. writing. And I know nothing about, you know, brush strokes or use of color or any of that stuff. So it's a really raw experience voting for uh, best fan artist and best professional artist. So I enjoy that. I had two categories left that I wanted to mention. One is best series, which is the weirdest Hugo and that should probably not be an award. I don't vote for in that category because I agree it should not be an award. And if few enough people vote in it, maybe someday it won't be. I did vote for two of the series and we've covered them both on the show before. Um, I did vote for the Expanse series, which I love dearly. And I voted for Ian McDonald's Luna series, which, you know, Scott, hey. Oh, yeah. We read that first one. Yeah, well, I've read all of them, and Scott uh, has read all of them. I have. <laughs> it's a good I, series. I stopped. It's a good series. Mm. I, I like it. I read it. the first one. It's good. It keeps going, but it, <laughs> only if you like the first one. Otherwise, it stops right there, and you don't continue. Um, so I voted for those two over no award, and then I put no award because the other nominees should not win awards. Um, and then the last one I wanted to mention, because it's such a great category this year, is the short-form dramatic presentation. Mm. I had a hard time with this category. The top... Ones were pretty easy because it's two episodes of Watchmen, this extraordinary being and uh, God walks into a bar. Um, the, uh, the answer episode of the good place is also on this list. An episode of the Mandalorian is on this list. An episode of the expanse is on this list. And the uh, Doctor Who New Year's special resolution is on this list. Sorry, Doctor Who. I love you. I voted you last because this yeah. was a packed category and that wasn't that great an episode. A packed It was the category. only one. It was literally the only episode of oh, Doctor Who yes. that year. Only eligible episode. So it yep. got nominated. But uh, really the packed with like Watchmen, The Good Place. I was like, oh my goodness. Like The Good Place is, mm, but Watchmen is. So it was quite a thing. That's a fun category. And the... Uh, Hugo Award winners will be announced in August. You can compare our choices to the actual winners. We were right, though. <laughs> yes. Especially yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Scott Scott sees all and knows all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wraps up. Uh, folks, I don't know how you feel. I've been reading books that aren't on award shortlists the last few weeks. It's amazing. I haven't had time yet. I it's can't weird. wait. <laughs> I have such a pile left. So like I, <laughs> that N.K. Jemison novel, The City We Became, I'm reading that that's, right now, and it's like that's oh! what I paused. That's what I paused the and light that, brigade to read. Mary Robin a Kowal book is out. It's I, so good. That, that a year ago, I was like, oh, I can't believe I have to wait a year, and now it's like I still haven't started it because I got so backed up. What we're saying is, we read these novels for you, lis- dear listener, and now we're done, and we're not going to start reading them again for another six months. So, haha! I'm just pointing out there's a, like there's a new uh, uh, Catherine Addison book too. Like that <sighs> has been on my oh list. My God. Was like, that looked great. I was like, ah, oh, God, I got to get through. Yeah, I, I just, I always need to read. Also, faster. a new Joe Walton book. Oh, stop it with the new books, everybody! <laughs> no, you got to writers got to eat, right, Dan? Keep doing new books. <laughs> I, you can't write much if you don't eat, let no. me tell you. <laughs> All 
All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Incomparable. Thanks to my panelists, Erica Ensign. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, Hugo Voting Buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for giving me somebody to talk about all of these stories with, because uh, I'm I'm just going to say not everybody in this household reads all of them the way Mm -hmm. I do. Aline Sims. Thank you. Someone remind me to take notes next year. All right. I'll, I'll, somebody remind me to remind Aline to take notes next year. I'll, I'll do it. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Erica. Dan Morin, thank you. Uh, next year, maybe I'll read all the books for all of the things. <laughs> you, you did pretty well. You wrote... Yeah. This is pretty you, good for you me. You read eight out of nine from the reading list. That's pretty good. It's not That's as good as lot. the rest of us, but it's pretty good. It's not bad. Well, I, yeah. You know, I only yeah, read I do eight. what I can. Oh, oh, yeah, because you oh, didn't read oh. one of the ones last time, too. But did Dan oh. read all of them last time? Or no, did I, didn't read, I didn't read oh. the, the one that, I take that it all back. nobody Dan, told me Dan, you let me down. You're horrible. <laughs> I wrote, wait, hold on. Wait a second. How many were on the How many were on the Nebula list? 17. There, no, was, there, right. there were six and then three more here, so that's nine. So you, you read, okay, what, seven so of nine? I read, I read all read, but one in oh, each of the lists. She's a good character. I read all but one in each of the lists. 48? Yeah. Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you, Jason. It's good. Uh, thank you for remembering some th- things about uh, books. They come back to me. Yeah, they do. Every once in a while. And thanks to everybody out there. Dear listener, we're gonna, we'll do another book club and it won't be about something that's on the uh, short list. What do we do for the other six months of the year? We just pick books we want to talk about. Maybe oh, it'll no. be that Mary Robin and Kowal book. Maybe it'll be the Dan K. Jemison book. Maybe it'll be something entirely different. Maybe it'll be both. <gasps> what? Just not on the same episode. No. Okay. <laughs> I got to stretch out after 500 plus episodes of just, you know, one at a time. I need those ideas. I need to stockpile <laughs> them. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Next week, somehow, we'll be back with another one. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.